In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Wonder Woman. Batman. Aquaman. And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. For All Mankind is a read-through show covering DC Comics' classic Super Friends series, which ran for 47 issues from 1976 to 1981. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this episode is my super friend, Laurel Phillips. Hi, Laurel. Welcome to the Hall of Justice. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you again. You and I did a treasury cast a couple of years ago at this point. Wow, how time flies. And <laughs> and so I'm, I'm always happy to have you on one of my shows. So thank you for doing this. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. So the uh, issue, of course, we're here to talk about is Super Friends number 16. But before we get to the comic in question, now, Laurel, I know that you have a familiarity with the cartoon. But in terms of the Super Friends comic book series, you had... No, you've never read it. This came and went long before you were reading comics. So your familiarity with Super Friends comes from just basically just reading them recently over on the DC Universe app. Is that right? Yeah, they finally added enough of them because they only had like four or five at one time. And uh, so I was able to read enough of them to, to follow along. A lot of times you guys are so good about this, putting pictures on your mm-hmm. uh, network, mm-hmm. on, on your uh, site there. So a lot of times I'm following through that when I don't have access to anything. So that, that's a wonderful thing that you do. Um, but yeah, what I, I didn't even know this existed until you started talking about it on the Fire and Water show. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what I remember, of course, is the TV show. Sure. Um, and you know, it's funny cause one of the most, the biggest things I remember was the Aquaman with the voo voo thing. <laughs> and I swear that's why I sort of paid attention to him later. And then I don't know about you, but we used to do the whole Wonder Twins powers activate thing when we were kids. Did I you did. ever do that with a friend where we're just doing something and it would come up, we're going to do this and that, and you know, we're going to team up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't have friends at, and, and when I was a kid that read comics, so I had, would have had nobody to do that with. I, we did it when we went to art school, and we were all a bunch of comic book nerds at that point. And then, but, but as a kid, no, I never really had a chance to do it with anybody. Yeah, I must have had friends that saw the show mm-hmm. because, uh, yeah, we did that from time to time. And, you know, your mom sort of looks at you like, what are you guys yeah, doing? what is that? Yeah, <laughs> what the heck are you doing? So were you a fan of the show? Did you watch it regularly or did you sort of just watch it and catch it? No, I, yeah, I liked it. You know, it's funny what I do and don't remember. I remember the Aquaman. I remember, of course, the, the Invisible Plane. Um, I, the Wonder Twins, I can really remember a lot better. Uh, but it's funny that, you know, just those bits and pieces put together and you're like, yeah, I was a fan of the show. You know, I remember the the Legion of Doom thing coming mm-hmm. up out of the swamp. And sure. it's just bits and pieces. I should have, what I should have done is watched some more episodes when it was on the DC Universe app before they took them away. And I just never had a chance. I, I just didn't take the time. I thought, well, they'll still be there. Well, no, no, they're not. So, But they're off the app now? Yeah. What? Why? Why? Why would they? They do that? changed. They put all their other stuffs going to the HBO Max. Okay. 
So I don't think they're on there anymore, unless oh, I'm mistaken. Weird. I could okay. be mistaken. Oh, that's odd. Oh, that's a, that's a shame because yeah, I mean, you would think that you would think that Super Friends would be the place to find them would be at the DC Universe app. Yeah, here. Well, where else are you gonna look for them? Jeez, that's crazy. Yeah, the TV stuff all went away. Wow, oh, that's a shame. All right, geez, all right, I'll have to dig. I get HBO Max. I'll have to look and see what I can find in there. I know they have some of the other uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. So, so you read, to, you finally got to the comic uh, online. What did you? How did, I mean, you came at it as an adult. What, what did you? How did they feel to you? How did they read to you as an adult? You know, reading them long after they'd been published. You know, some of them are much more complex than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was expecting just, hey, we're going to run around, you know, we, <laughs> we, we break up into teams and run around. <laughs> That's a great description of some of the issues. Hey, we're going to run around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all they're doing. Um, but it wasn't as, what do I want to say? It wasn't as repetitive as you'd think mm-hmm. because they did bring in characters from the rest of the DC universe, which right. I didn't know they would do right. um, to listening to you. And then, so that gave us some interesting things. And I especially loved when they try. They did the um, the world characters that were, I don't know what they were called. Oh, the Global Guardians, each, yeah. Yeah, from each country like that. That was unique. Um, the fact that, like, sometimes the, the villains have to be solved. You know, you don't know exactly who they are, why they are. Um, especially, I, I, of course, the, the last issue is, of course, fresh in my memory. Uh, where you had a bad guy who wasn't exactly the bad guy. It was like mm-hmm. his underling. And I was like, this can be kind of complex in ways that I wasn't expecting. And then other ones, yeah, they're simple, straightforward. You know, yeah, Marvin can beat somebody up. I was like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> come on. Uh, but uh, yeah, so when we switched to Wonder Twins, it was like, okay, th- this is better. You know, the only part I remember from the early shows like that i know you like wendy and marvin um, but i do remember wonder dog and i'm wondering did you ever see the laugh olympics oh sure yeah i think he was on there really i had to be somewhere else because i remember him much more vividly than i do a lot of the other you know i'm like where did i learn about him so i wonder Mm -hmm. if he was on there for some reason that that's why i remembered him Warner Brothers, not Warner Brothers, Hanna Barbera. They love their dog characters. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. So because there was a team, you know, Scooby Doo had a team on that right, show. Right, right, right. So I'm wondering if maybe he showed up in there at some point, and that's hmm. why I knew him, but I didn't know Wendy and Marvin. Hmm. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't. I haven't seen the Laugh Olympics in a long time. I'll have to dig those out. That would be really fun. I know one of the, my favorite data points, and I've bring the, I brought this up on numerous podcasts just because I love the idea of it. Was there was that there was that brief moment in the seventies where Charlton had the license to all the Hanna Barbera comics, and uh, the Super Friends was a Hanna Barbera show. And due to some, apparently, uh, like a glitch in a contract or like an oversight in a contract that DC didn't notice, there was a brief window where Charlton could have done the license, could have produced a Super Friends comic book out from under under DC. And DC, of course, finally noticed it and flipped out and got it, got Super Friends squared away. But I mean, so there was this one weird moment where Charlton could have published a Superman comic book, which would have been an amazing thing to behold. Yeah, that would have been wild. Yeah, that would have been, DC would have been apoplectic if that Crossover with those characters, yeah. that would have been interesting. Yeah, so that w- I would have loved it if uh, the Super Friends had crossed over with the other Hanna-Barbera characters in the, on the cartoon. That would have been amazing. That just would have been I would have loved Batman to show up on the Laugh Olympics. That would have been the really That would have been really interesting. I mean, they did that Batman and Robin team up on Scooby-Doo. That's like the closest yes. we ever got. Oh, that's got. one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one of my so. favorite episodes. But still, yeah, 
Well, we could talk cartoons all day. <laughs> we could, we could. So, what do you, th- what did you think about uh, Ramona Fraden's art? I mean, how familiar were were you with her as a, as an artist? Not much familiar at all. And I have to say, um, it's kind of cartoonish, but it's sure. on the same way. It's not. It expresses exactly what needs to be done. If that makes sense, it yeah, doesn't no, try totally. to be real cutie about it. I guess is what I want to say. Um, so it doesn't mimic the show to such a degree that it messes up the comic it still flows well you get some nice panel layouts going i I just really liked it i like how she did the characters um you know i know that you're a fan that she did a lot of one uh excuse me aquaman cartoons and i can see why in here because he's depicted very well yeah i i have been enjoying that that was a nice thing nice surprise and like i said you know mixing in characters that weren't on the show doing them in this same style made it all feel like a one piece, you mm-hmm. know, it yeah. made it feel grouped as opposed to just random artists doing their riff on the TV show. Right. Yeah. No, she's, yeah, her, her style is very cartoony, but there's a, there's a uh, solidity to the draftsmanship underneath it that gives it like kind of a weight more than some other car- other artists that maybe don't have that uh, understanding. She, she yeah, knows how to draw the human figure in motion, and then she can cartoony it up. Mm-hmm. It still looks real. Yeah, it doesn't get that two-dimensional feel mm-hmm. like you sometimes get from yep, these. Totally, totally. Yeah, I said it's great. So, well, that's awesome. I, I love having people on the show who come at this comic from a different perspective. Some people love that I've had on are like old men like me and they're familiar with the comic from, from the, when it was on the newsstand, but I like it when someone's discovering it for the, for the first time. And I'm glad that they're finally digitizing these comics and putting them up because it's a great series we've been having fun talking about them and they deserve to be seen by a wider audience, not just found in a musty old back issue bin somewhere. So I'm glad that these, that they're cleaning these up and putting them up on the DC universe universe app. So that's yeah, really cool. I've really enjoyed it. Cool. So anyway, so we're here to talk about issue number 16. It's the story is called The People Who Stole the Sky. It is, of course, by Nelson Bridwell, Ramona Fraden, and Bob Smith. It was on sale October 26, 1978. Before we get to the story, Laurel, I want to ask you, what do you think of this cover where we've got this alien and uh, threatening Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Wonder Twins, and Gleek in this sort of uh, cube-shaped thing floating above space, and the alien is saying, Earth's greatest superheroes are helpless to stop us from stealing the sky! Exclamation mark. Uh, I have my grudge because it's yet another cover with no Aquaman. I knew uh, you were going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> but, but otherwise, what, what do you think of this cover? I like I like it, especially because we've got this uh, Eicher, like the, the artist where things are not quite lined up just right. Yep, right. That really is a neat effect. I like that it shows what's in the comic book because this is a TV comic. They could have just had like poster kind of looking covers and they don't, they do stuff like this where it looks like, you know, what you would think of as a real comic book cover. Yep. So I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, the aliens are definitely alien looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got these weird suckers like on the end of their feet and on their arms and almost like they're wearing jodhpurs, I guess it is, with like <laughs> holes in them. And <laughs> like old timey movie directors or something. Yeah, I was like, it's appropriately alien enough without like freaking people out. Yeah, it's it's a very full cover. I mean, she is, Ramona Fraden is using every inch of the cover. There's a lot of uh, cover copy. We've got the balloon and then there's the logo and then you could also be a winner in the second Superman movie contest and a DC TV comic and the UPC symbol plus the comics code symbol. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but yeah, I, I appreciate the, uh, 
the Escher thing, because when you first look at it, it it's like it does with Escher. You When you first glance at it, it looks like it makes sense. And then when you look a little closer, you're like, wait, no, that doesn't, no, that angle doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, so even she, the size of the characters. I mean, yep. Zan is tinier in, in the top, and yep. who's behind who gets confusing, and they're yep. standing on the glass, and some are upright and some are sideways. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, good job, Ramona, as, as always. Uh, great job with this uh, with this cover. So, okay, let's get to the plot of this issue. Uh, it starts in the JLA satellite, where Batman, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman see a group of spaceships headed directly for them. At the last second, the ships veer off their path, and a group of tall, wraith-like aliens emerge, seemingly walking on airless space. The aliens then start to build a sort of city, not restricted to gravity or, un- or any understandable design. Unfortunately, this strange city is built in the skies of Earth, and when a jetliner finds itself about to hit it, it's Superman to the rescue. The pilots tell the Man of Steel that they found that as they got close to the city, the jet lost the ability to fly. This happens to all sorts of aircraft, even the Batplane and the Invisible Jet. Superman, angered that these visitors are responsible for so many lives being endangered, flies up and talks to them. Their leader, named Pywall, tells Superman he and his people have taken command of the air and that you groundwalkers should stay below where they belong. Superman is enraged, but Pywall uses his gravity simulator on him, causing the man of steel to plummet to Earth. Back at the Hall of Justice, Superman tells the other super friends what happened. Jaina offers that she can replicate the form of one of the aliens and sneak into their city. Zan insists on tagging along in the form of ice crystals as ornaments in her hair. After sneaking past some of the aliens, Jaina changes into a microbe and Zan into fog so they can slip into a tiny crack and make their way into the aliens' control room. After fighting some of the aliens off, Jaina turns off the gravity simulator, allowing the super friends to approach. The super friends then take on several aliens each, with Superman finding Pywall. After threatening to deck him, Pywall surrenders and says he and his people will leave and find another planet on which to settle. Superman makes Pywall promise it will be an uninhabited planet, and he will be watching. Robin credits Superman for scaring the aliens off, but the Man of Steel says the real credit goes to the Wonder Twins, who have literally saved the planet. Okay, so, Laurel, what did you think of this story? I thought it was fun. It's very straightforward. We don't have the whole team split up in this one, Mm -hmm. where they usually go off and and do their pieces of the puzzle. So it felt nice to have um, a more team atmosphere, even though Jaina went up by herself. It was Superman's powers that allowed her to to fit in. He did this super ventriloquism thing and super Mm -hmm. sight and super brain. That was a little odd that we have Superman with whatever powers or not powers that we want. Um, I wanted to ask you, is that a thing from the Bronze Age? What what the Superman kind of has various powers. Superman yeah the way his powers come and go and stuff was that he, normal yeah he basically could do anything uh, during the Bronze Age yes he could have super ventriloquism super freeze breath uh, turning I mean he couldn't turn himself into like duplicates like in the Superman two movie but like close to it so yeah he was he was pretty omnipotent with what his power set was in the bronze age silver and bronze age yeah because that came up a lot in in this one where mm-hmm. i was just like that that threw me out of it a little bit but then ashford uh on the hunters podcast he's always telling me that i have to remember that i'm looking at this as a modern reader looking mm-hmm. back and if you were someone of the time this would probably seem perfectly normal right yeah, oh yeah, no, I grew up with this, that Superman could do anything they really needed him to do when they needed him to do it. Yeah, so that's really my, my only complaint on this thing. Otherwise, like I said earlier, there is some interesting racist stuff in here that they're trying to take on that. They also take on a little bit of uh, the pollution, so you're mm-hmm. getting some some of that kind of stuff in here. Um, and then, like I said, you're getting a nice teams moving forward. Um, as a group, they come up with a plan and, you know... 
they execute it and everybody gets to fight together at the end. And I really like that part. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed uh, coming to it new that E. Nelson Bridwell put a lot more into these stories than you would have expected. That is something that's been a constant delight revisiting this comic. I mean, I read this comic at the time. I bought every issue. Uh, but E. Nelson Bridwell, I mean, he was writing to a younger set, even a younger set than was typically reading DC Comics at the time. But he never wrote down to kids. You know, I mean, his plots are pretty complex. This one is, as you said, relatively straightforward for him. Uh, you know, he was, he managed to cram a lot into 16 or 17 pages. And even, even for something as straightforward as this, where, as you said, the teams don't split up. It really is the aliens attack. The super friends address the problem. They go after the villain and they defeat the villain. Pretty, pretty A, B, C, and D. Nevertheless, there is a lot, there's more going on here than you would have expected. I love, uh, you mentioned the comment about the, the racism, racism thing. That's really interesting. I, that panel really jumped out at me where the pie wall guy, calls everyone on earth a lower form of life and he dismisses them as ground walkers and he says moreover we demand that you shut down those factories and furnaces which pollute the atmosphere uh, do so within three days or we will destroy them and superman goes why you racist maniac and that word just jumped out at me because it's like this is a kid's comic mm-hmm. like you wouldn't expect to see that word and it was interesting that superman takes such offense at that that he's like refer you know he doesn't like that that this pie wall guy is like oh you people are a lower form because you can't operate in the sky you're all a lower form of existence and you're you're going to be treated as such and i love that ramona Freight draws superman rearing his fist back like he's just really mad he wants yeah, he's got a son he's really gonna clobber this guy yeah yeah i think that, that was great i mean this is superman of course you know by his nature in these team comics has to be a little less competent a little less powerful uh than he is in his normal in his solo stories because he, they don't want to outshine everybody else but here he's kind of just like a huge muscle guy and his heft his sure power that he comes with is really uh, put across by Ramona Fred. And again, I like how sort of angry Superman is throughout this story. You probably think- also appreciated we have an effective Aquaman in this, even though we we're do. in the sky. Yes. That, you know, he gets the birds, he gets to break through the door and beat people up. And I yeah. was like, oh, good. You know, <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that. I'm always a fan of that. Uh, but regarding the, these aliens, um, Ramona Freyden does a great job. They said, we, as we set up, as we see them setting up this cube, which, as you talked about, is very Escher-esque and that it makes no sense in terms of its design. That's got to be incredibly hard to convey as an artist to put something together visually. And I mean, I know she's got MC Escher a little bit as a template here, but to to put something together that you can draw and it all connects up because it has to, but it also cannot make any sense on a perspective level. And on page three, when we see the aliens on the inside mm-hmm. and there's like a stairwell that's kind of like, catty corner on the ceiling and then there's like a floor that seems to be pointing the wrong direction and then you've got these aliens walking in all sorts of directions and that takes a lot of vision this is a phrase i use a lot but it really requires a lot of visual invention on the artist part to convey that effectively and no surprise ramona Freyden does it because it, it it's the kind of thing where you're like yeah to them it makes total sense but to us it's just sort of visual gibberish yeah and the use of the shadows the way that they work on the different pieces um, that was well done, you know, like the, the stairs are black and white, the floors, mm-hmm. the black and white checked, the side of the stairs is dark, you know, the way that that plays as well. It's not just um, the figures, you know, the background itself is all distorted. I, I don't know how you do this, to be honest, because they're yeah. walking upside down on the stairs and 
sideways and cat a corner. And I, 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 I have no idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very well done. So I love, there's a couple of details on page seven that I enjoy. First of all, when the, they turn the gravity, uh, the, the gravity defying machine on the Superman, he just falls. I like that, um, as the panels where he's falling, there's no word balloon and it's just him falling because of course, most, most of us, if we're falling from a great height, we're yelling because we're terrified, but he's Superman. So this is just sort of an inconvenience, but I sort of like that panel where it's just him falling, where he can't stop himself. And then he just hits the ground with this large thump and he just kind of wakes up and goes like, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But I, I like that. I like they, they could have put in a panel of Superman going like, whoa, or whatever, but he's just, he's just falling. He's just like, all right, I'm going to hit the ground. I'll be fine. Uh, which I, I, I like that little touch. Can we go back a second to oh, sure. where he's saving all the, the different, uh, vehicles? Right. Okay, there's a dirigible for one thing, which right. is like, okay, you know, the blimp. He's saving a hot air balloon. <laughs> right. I was just like, what is a hot air balloon doing in all this? I don't think they're supposed to go that high either. Like, <laughs> hot air balloons are not supposed to be in the same uh, flight pan as yeah, jets and helicopters. Yeah, yeah, it was really crazy. What, what, you know, I was like, the directions were probably just put some vehicles in the air, you know, and so the choice of what got put in there is funny it wasn't all just jumbo jets superman's like oh these metropolis metropolis people (laughs) he's keeping me busy (laughs) Lord god's sakes what's this guy doing um the other detail i wanted to mention on that page where he falls is when when superman comes back to the hall of justice and he's talking to the rest of the super friends we see gleek standing on wonder woman's shoulder with Mm -hmm. his arm around her head like around her like he's holding onto her like he's like a little you know like a monkey or like a kikachu or something and i I don't know. I think that's really charming that he's like the Wonder Woman and the rest of the Super Friends are as comfortable around Gleek that he can do that. Like normally you would think to draw him around Zan's neck or Jane's mm-hmm. neck because he's their pet. But I like that he's kind of just the whole – he's all the Super Friends pet now. Yeah, like, he does like the same that. thing on uh, page nine with Superman. Does he? Oh, that. that's right. He mm-hmm. does. Yeah, he's holding onto his cape. Yeah, he's I love that. On, yeah, he's sitting on his shoulder and then the next panel he's he's looking over it. It's just sweet. Yeah, that's really adorable. Yeah, that's the one I noticed. Yeah, I mean, I love that that Ramona Fraden, again, I I go on to this every episode, but she takes the time to throw that stuff in. That takes extra work. You know, just Mm -hmm. a little, just to think about it a little bit. She could have just drawn Superman talking to Batman, but no, she draws Gleek in the background. Just that extra little effort, because it's not relevant to the panel. It's just a nice little detail, which I think is is great. Yeah, and he looks properly afraid, which is, you know, got got that innocent, Afraid look. He said he knows the import of what's going on here. So uh, I want to ask you your opinion about uh, Jaina using her powers to turn into one of the aliens. Do you feel like that's a, a reach of her powers? That's a little too far? Yeah, that felt a little odd to me because then she could basically impersonate anybody on Earth. You know, that, right. you know, go, go be president or something crazy. Um, so yeah, that was a little extreme. And then becoming a centaur was a little odd when they're, when she's in the fight, that's a mythical animal. That's not even, you know, so to me, that's pushing things even further. Cause I'm like, well, then she could be a dragon or the Hydra right. or he can be a frost giant. I mean, we could go crazy there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was pushing things a little bit, but then, like I said, I chalked up, well, you know, it's a kid's show. It's funny to see a horse, you know, I don't know why it couldn't just be a regular horse, but mm-hmm. You know, it was fun to watch. She used the, the, the kicking, the back legs, the front legs. You know, it was, it was nice to see that used. But, yeah, imitating one of the aliens was kind of pushing things. I don't know. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I did my – I was a little like, hmm, can she do that? I didn't like – you know, because you're right. Because if she can replicate – the whole point is she can replicate an animal. 
of any type. Okay, well, an alien is not an animal, but I mean, of course, how do you even define that at a certain point? Well, in the um, clothes, you've got to yeah, be able to do that. Yeah, clothes too. I kind of remind it reminded me a little bit. I remember when I saw the X Men movie, the first one, uh, in the theater. And if there's that final shot where we see Mystique has turned into like the statue, like a, a replica of the Statue of Liberty. And that way she's hiding in plain sight. And I was like, can she do that? Like, I thought she could like shapeshift people, but like she could turn into shapes. Like, is she Plastic Man? Like, I was just yeah, like, that's a, I didn't uh, know that's she could do that. One. Yeah. She's sort of pushing things. Yeah. I was like, all right, Plastic Man can do that. I know he can do that. But yeah. But I was like, okay. Again, it's 17, 17 page story. Uh, e. Nelson Burble's got to keep it moving. You know, he's like, all right, fine. She can turn into an alien. It's fine. And, um, I, you know, Zan can turn into fog. That's fine. That makes total sense. And they, they, it works to get them into the, uh, into the alien stronghold. So that's cool. And then, so then finally the super friends, um, you know, fly off, get on the individual jet and the bad plane and they head off. I love, again, another great detail where the aliens start firing and Wonder Woman, um, the, the, uh, the blasts are in front of her face. Mm-hmm. And the, the aliens are like, we must kill them. And she puts her bracelets up over her. I'm mimicking it like anyone can see it. She puts her braces up in front of her face <laughs> and she's like, fire away. And I just, I love that <laughs> when you're Wonder Woman, you can be kind of cocky like that, or you're like, shoot at my face, go right ahead. I'm fine with that. You're not going to get through anyway. Yeah. Or, or Superman says it tickles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you Superman. know. Yeah yeah. 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 That was cute. And, and the, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the very next panel where she's on the wing and she's throwing her lasso. And I, I love uh, her body, her, uh, the, 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 her body pose there, her pose there on the wing where she's sort of hunched over. And then you've got Aquaman going, that's it, friends, attack. <laughs> he's, he's just kind of getting into it. He's, he's enjoying watching the Superman and Wonder Woman beat the crap out of these aliens. Most definitely. And um, on the next page, you have a smiling Batman. I thought, now, how often are we going to see that That's in the right. future? That's right. Yeah. You know, they're having, I'm, you know, having fun, he says. I don't talk much when I'm having this much fun. They're <laughs> just beating all these aliens up because these guys are obviously not built for um, a combat like this. And that's the same page that has that Aquaman moment you mentioned where Aquaman blasts in. By the way, the panel just before that is in black and white for no discernible reason that I could figure out. Uh, it looks cool, but it's like... I just, I don't, like, the entire the, the entire panel is in black and white. And I don't, is that, does it look that way on the the DC app version? Yeah, I thought that was a mistake on, you know, when they recolored these things. I didn't realize it was in that print edition yeah. as well. Yeah, I don't know why it is. I guess it's just, they're just going for an effect or something. But, uh, like, in the, the panel above it where Batman is smiling, you mentioned his cowl is is in black and white. And that's clearly a mistake. The color Okay, yeah, no, out. that's corrected. His right. cowl's blue. But yeah, this panel, this panel is entirely in black and white, and I don't know why. Again, it looks cool. I don't. I, there's no point to it, but it looks cool. But then in the very next panel, that's Aquaman blasting through, where he says, "An undersea living has done a lot for me, like building enough muscle to break through this door." And he smashes the door, and he takes out one, two, three, four, five, six aliens in one shot, which is <laughs> that is music to my eyes. You know, I yeah. love that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I knew you'd like that when, yep. when he did that. And I liked it too, I have to be honest, because sometimes he's just like, well, there has to be a sea element in order for him to do anything. So it was so nice to have, you know, he gets to have full participation in this too. Yeah, yeah, right. He's not, uh, him in the sky is not his natural habitat and so yeah i like that he gets to you know, just kick some butt i mean you know it's, it's, it's <laughs> one of the super friends for pete's sake uh so then they can they they defeat the alien superman smashes all the rocks and wonder woman blasts her way through this door and then we get another 
uh, moment of Superman just wanted to use his muscle where he grabs Pywall by the neck and he rears up his fist. He's like, and now <laughs> just he's, he's going to knock that guy's head off his shoulders if Pywall doesn't relent. Yeah, and the intensity of his gaze when he's yeah. saying, well, I'll be watching, so you know, better make sure that he picks an uninhabited planet. The only weirdness here, um, as far as a kid's comic book, I thought they did an interesting thing here. They didn't force the message of, well, now he's learned that we have to all get along, that racism <laughs> is wrong. No, it was, I'm going to keep my head attached, you know, so I'm going to do whatever this guy says. <laughs> I do love Superman's like, all right, but I'll be watching you by trampling on others' rights again, and I'll pay you another visit. And he's really... Yeah, it wasn't like, well, you've learned your lesson. No, it's, no. you know, we're going to force you to do the right thing. That's great. I just, I, I like to see Superman kind of unleashed uh, in these moments. <laughs> that's really, that's really fun. And of course, like in all, in a lot of happens in the Super Friends cartoons happens here, the aliens, they let the aliens just leave. And there's literally a shot of them standing at the Hall of Justice watching the aliens leave the sky. Like, come on, guys. You, you might want to follow them a little further out than that as opposed to just sort of standing in the parking lot going, and get out and, and stay out. You know, like maybe Superman would should escort them to another planet. But, okay, we don't have time for that in this. In this well, he used story. his supervision or something like that earlier. So maybe we're just supposed to assume that's what's going on. Maybe so. Yeah, he follows them to like, you know, Neptune or something and make sure that they don't they don't do. It. And, uh, you know, I was like, OK, just get off our planet. And then they said the story ends with Superman giving the credit to Zan and Jaina, who really were the ones that sort of turned this all around. And so as you as you mentioned, it's it's a for even for Superman, it's a fairly simplistic story in terms of its parts. It's just all the team doing one thing all at once. Um, but, but that's a nice change of pace. I mean, I don't, it does, every issue doesn't have to be the splitting up Gardner Fox style. I like this. This is just, it's a one-off. These aliens attack, the super friends find a way to defeat them and they do defeat them and they send them on their way. And that's the end of the story. It's just a nice, quick little one and done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It was nice. Like I said earlier to have the team be a team. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention about the letters page, does the uh, DC universe app print the letters pages? No, no, they don't. That's a darn shame. They should. It's part of the book. Um, there's a letter from a young uh, man, presumably named Wilson Rivera, who says he likes the, these uh, international characters so much. He says they might call themselves the International League. So Wilson was kind of ahead of the curve there in terms of what DC would eventually do with the Global Guardians. And then, of course, Justice League International itself. So uh, I hope Wilson Rivera kept reading comics and he could, uh, you know, yeah, eventually see some they... of his ideas put into put into play. Yeah, they eventually catch up with his ideas. Yeah, I thought that that's really cool. So, all right. Well, so overall, this issue of uh, Super Friends, we, of course, got to ask you, Laurel, who do you think came off best? Who is the best friend in this story? Okay, well, I'm picking Jaina because she did sort of go into the lion's den. It was her idea, her abilities that allowed that. But I'm putting Superman at a very close second because it wouldn't have succeeded without him. I, that's exactly where I am, too. I, Jaina clearly... It was given the most, I mean, gee, Superman even says, without you, you know, he wouldn't have done it. I mean, he could, he wraps it up. He could not put more of a bow on it. But, but yeah, Jaina gets the most, uh, the Wonder Twins, despite both of them really get the most to do. But Jaina is the one that gets in there, turns off the panel, does everything and really kicks it going. But yeah, Superman gets his great, gets some really great moments. But Jaina really comes to the fore here. And so, yeah, I give her that award too. I think she came off best. In terms of the, the villain, the villain roundup, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to these aliens. Uh, I mean, other than I think a visual, do you think that uh, they had maybe 
some some life beyond Super Friends, or do you think this is just kind of like a good one and done for these guys? I think it's a good one and done. You could bring them back if you wanted. They could team up with somebody and be like, "Ha, we're, we're you know we're putting you in your place" or something like that. Uh, if you wanted to, but that's not really something I think would suit this comic book. Mm-hmm. I think this is a one and done. Um, but it's nice to have a straightforward bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. here's the baddies. Let's go fight them. I mean. There's a place for that in comics. I mean, sometimes the fighty McFight issues are fun. Mm-hmm. Right. The last couple issues of Super Friends where they were – it was like that giant mole that was causing all these problems. It wasn't – the mole wasn't really a monster. It was just sort of a, a creature out of control. It wasn't trying to be a, a bad force guy. of nature. Force of nature. Right. Exactly. But here, it's like, no, no. These are just one-off alien bad guys, and that's it, and we don't have to really deal with them again. Again, visually – I think there's some cool stuff here, and I would it would be interesting to see other artists try to tackle that kind of crazy approach. But but yeah, I don't think there's uh, pie wall, uh, especially how quickly they fold. I mean, they really have they have no other than the fact that they have this gravity defying machine. There isn't a whole lot to them because they don't have any real physical heft. Obviously, once the super friends can get into their city, they make quick work of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I mean, I love Aquaman, but if he can take out six of them at one time. Uh, they're obviously not the most fearsome threat in the world if you can knock six guys out in one shot. So, but but as you said, sometimes it's just fine to do a one and done. That's it's fine the way it is. Yeah, well, and they served their purpose. You know, they were the arrogant. You know, they were like I said earlier, the whole racist comment and the pollution. That was like, you know, they they played their part in getting those things across, and that's it. That's all they needed to do. Yep, absolutely. So uh, the one last thing I want to mention is this issue of Super Friends is the first monthly issue. Uh, this is now the first time that not uh, two months have transpired between issues of Super Friends, or just one month. Obviously, uh, sales must have picked up to grant the book a monthly status because that was basically how DC did things back then, that books that they thought didn't have a huge sales potential were bi-monthly. And then if it was really popular, they bumped it up to monthly. So uh, the previous issue came out in September. This one came out in October. So this is the first time that uh, readers got an issue of Super Friends just 30 days after the last one. So, And the book would remain pretty much, I think, may remain monthly till the end of its run until uh, the final issue. So Super Friends obviously started to pick up a little bit, which is good. It's a great book, and uh, I'm glad it got promoted to, uh, to monthly status. So, uh, Laurel, thank you so much for coming by and talking about this. I really appreciate it. I reached out to you, and you had said you had never read Super Friends. And I appreciate the fact you were willing to go and check some of these books out and that you enjoyed them. And so it was just great being able to talk to you about this. Oh, thank you for having me. Why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me on the Hunters podcast and also the Feathers and Foes, a Birds of Prey podcast. Uh, those are with the Right On Network. That's W-R-I-G-H-T, Right On Network. Um, but you can really just search for, for the Huntress slash Batgirl because we share a feed with the Batgirl Cassandra Kane. We're doing, uh, they're doing that. I'm not on that one, but I'm on the Huntress one and the, the Birds of Prey. All right. Outstanding. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I always, I always enjoy talking to you. So everybody stay tuned. I'm going to run some podcast promos and some commercial announcements. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family crush my own life on their way to consuming everything. I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Ah! Ah, no, no! Hey, kill this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. 
I am the Huntress. You can listen to the Huntress podcast online at thehuntresspodcast.com, at Apple Podcasts. Go to Twitter at Huntress Podcast. And again, this shares a feed with the Bad Girl Cassandra Kane podcast. Cheers. Fighters, two old-time airplanes that really fly and land on their wheels. You put them together, and then you fly them. Nerf Classic Fighters from Parker Brothers. Each model sold separately. And we're back with listener feedback, and this is the feedback you super friends left over on the website, firewaterpodcast.com, about the previous episode of For All Mankind, which was number 15, with my guest, Sean Ross. Uh, first up is Matt Soroyce, who says, another early morning commute accompanied by For All Mankind. It makes, me, it makes leaving the house at 5 a.m. a lot more pleasant. Uh, once again, he, Nelson Brigwell, packs a ton of story into a small package. He not only gives everyone plenty to do, but he gives them all amazing moments. Robin kicking butt outside of the shadow of the bat. Aquaman fighting fire with the same fire. Superman punching out satellites, etc. So much fun to be had. For All Merch Kind is a fascinating entry. While I don't remember this product, I do remember other arts and crafts activity sets for kids. Shrinky Dinks, Chia Pets, Presto Magic, and other stuff to keep kids out of their parents' hair on rainy afternoons. I'm so glad you pointed out that the image next to Wonder Dog was stored in the seahorse. When I was looking at the images on the website, I couldn't figure out what it was for the life of me. Thanks for saving a shred of my sanity. Wow, Matt, that's a, that's a lot you're putting on the show. Uh, but yes, uh, thank you so much for the comment. Yeah, I did enjoy uh, that story quite a bit, and uh, it was great to talk about it with Sean, so thank you. Chris Franklin from our network, and of course he appeared on that For All Merch Kind segment, says, Am I the only one who liked the Elemental's original costumes better? Okay, I thought so, but I do. ENV was an IP-generating machine. He's now introduced, what, like three super teams in this comic? The Global Guardians, the Monster Heroes, and now the Elementals, and you're only on issue number 15. Too bad only the Guardians make it out of the series, and only a handful have been put to any good use. I think we owe Sean a free sub now, but not the steak or cheese or chicken bacon ranch. Those are extra. I think we can, with our Patreon money, I think we can front Sean that, uh, Chris. Uh, Brian Linton says, thanks for another amazing episode, gentlemen. Fun fact, the symbols on the Elemental's new costumes are the symbols of the four classical elements from Western alchemy. I thought that was a nice subtle tie-in to the team's origins. By the way, I still want more of the Elemental's. Also, Chris mentioned one, but perler beads are another descendant of PrestoFix. They are colored plastic beads that you place on a plastic pegboard to make different images. The beads can be fused together with a clothes iron to make the design permanent. My daughter was really into them a year or two ago. We even got her a Justice League perler bead set. And then Brian, uh, Brian provided the link to the Justice League set uh, on the website, which is amazing. I had no idea they were still making these kinds of things. Captain Entropy responded, hey, there's an orange. Forward progress in Western civilization is not a myth. I agree with you there, Captain. I was happy that uh, they finally included orange so Aquaman can be, uh, be part of this. There's no reason why uh, being a secondarily colored superhero should prevent you from appearing on the nationally manufactured merchandise. Seller Dweller says, hello, Rob. Thanks to you and guest Sean for another great podcast. You're not only, uh, you're not the only one who gets angry when Aquaman is left off the cover of an issue. Letters from fans from issue number 15 appeared in the letter column of issue number 20, and this is an excerpt from one letter. Quote, once again, and it seems to be a regular practice now, the big three, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, are the only ones on the cover with the Wonder Twins thrown in for a little bounce. Don't ignore Aquaman and Robin or your guest stars. 
unquote. I enjoy the pacing of this issue, and each super fan got a chance to shine in their own section of the story. I agree with you and Sean. Robin and Aquaman came out best here. Also, like Sean, I was impressed with Zan and his shift into Jack Frost. With all the ice sculpture shapes he used in the cartoon, it was refreshing to see him use his power set in a new and inventive way. I will admit, when reading this as a kid, I was completely confused when the elementals were explaining how their outfits were made, specifically when Undine and Self said their clothes were made from mostly water and air. What? Glad you were able to use the submission for all merch kind. See you next podcast, Chuck. Yes, uh, thank you so much, Chuck. I really did appreciate you sending in uh, that set so Chris and I could talk about it for all merch kind. It was something I'd never seen before, and uh, I love talking about discoveries like that. So thank you. Edo Boznar says, oh, yeah, more action with the Elementals. And Overlord, the most fearsome villain ever. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a bit about Overlord, but I still love the show. I have to say, though, since it comes up relatively often in your episodes, you guys were lucky to have doctors, dentists, and whatnot who had comics in their waiting rooms. The only reading with Jill for kids I remember seeing at those places was Highlights Magazine. Let me tell you, Goofus and Gallant were a poor substitute for the Super Friends. Also, I'm a bit miffed at Sean's casual dissing one of my earliest little boy TV crushes, Lindsay Wagner. Not cool, man. And for the record, I don't think she ever suffered from bulimia. Um, yes. Uh, first of all, uh, yeah, I remember there were certain doctors that I would visit that had uh, cooler waiting rooms than others. And I would be more amenable like uh, to seeing them because I knew I could wait. My dentist, actually, when we lived in Philadelphia, had a uh, air hockey table in his waiting room. And so, like, that was actually kind of the – I mean, nobody wants to go to the dentist, but at least I could play air hockey while, while I was waiting. So that was kind of cool. Um, regarding Lindsay Wagner, um, yeah, I mean, I, Sean was not in any way trying to diss Lindsay Wagner. I think he was more referencing about how People Magazine seemed to be constantly running cover stories about, you know, ex-TV star or ex-movie star has Y problem. Uh, when I was a kid, I remembered People Magazine – Another magazine was always in dentist's office. And I could never – I used to read that magazine because it was a bad entertainment. But it, the cover features were kind of like this poor person is suffering. This celebrity is is suffering from this Ill, illness. And it, it, after a while, it did kind of blend together a little bit. And so I think that's what Sean was referencing. He was not in any way trying to diss the great Lindsay Wagner. So I can speak for him very safely. But uh, don't worry. You know, we all love Lindsay Wagner uh, here over on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, Mark Baker Wright says, as I suggested in last month's comments, my first thoughts when reading about Elementals in DC Comics are from Firestorm's Elemental era. So I was a bit surprised to hear that neither of the hosts had a context for a fire elemental growing in size, simply by increasing the flames within them, since Firestorm does exactly this on more than one occasion during its elemental run. Sorry, Mark, I'm not familiar with this Firestorm character that you're referring to, but, uh, but, but thank you for the comments. Uh, he also says that while I did enjoy these elementals and agree that their costumes are great, I'm not too surprised that they weren't used again. After all, they said in the previous issue that the human hosts had really had no interest in being heroes. Of course, they also said that the elemental forces can only gain their souls by doing good, quote, over a long period. So we're left to wonder if the elementals were doomed by their human hosts' unwillingness. Perhaps there were more adventures off panel? We'll probably never know. Probably, but uh, again, you never know what writer might dig things up. When we just a couple episodes ago, we had Mark Russell who wrote the Wonder Twins series, and I never thought the Wonder Twins would ever be brought into the main DC universe. So, you know, who knows? The Elementals might still have a chance. Uh, Eric leaves a comment. He says, another fun episode. I vaguely remember reading this issue as a kid, but I didn't remember any details apart from the Elementals demonstrating their powers. Regarding the letters page, Beppe Sabatini had a brief career in comics in the 1980s. He started his professional career with a story in DC's New Talent Showcase Number 3 with art by Dan Day, brother of the late master of kung fu artist Gene Day. Dan wrote a Superman backup story in Action 572. 
He then did some work at Eclipse, contributing stories to their anthology series, Alien Encounters and Tales of Terror, and writing a one-shot Transformers GoBot spoof, Robot Battalion 2050, which was originally announced under the more amusing working title, Cheap Shoddy Robot Toys. I don't know what he did after his short stint in comics, but hopefully he found fulfillment at whatever path he pursued afterwards. In any case, having a story illustrated by Gray Morrow in Alien Encounters number 10 would be a highlight of any comic writer's career, no matter how brief. And then uh, my guest, Sean Ross, follows up and he says, this absolutely made my day. Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, that, this is, Erica, that was a great uh, information uh, to give us. I felt like I had vaguely seen that freight, that name, Pepe Sabatini, somewhere, but I just didn't think to look it up at the time. So thank you for the information. I, I read Alien Encounters and I read Tales of Terror when they were out. So I must have read those stories. And yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure... Uh, anytime you've written something and it gets drawn by Gray Morrow, like that's a, that's a huge plus for, for any writer. So very cool. Thanks for the information. Uh, Sean M. Myers, who of course has appeared on this very podcast, says, welcome to the podcast, Sean, my feller from another speller. Nearly everyone above me in the comments has already hit on all of my story and podcast notes. So thankfully for everyone else, my comments this month will be brief. Sure, Sean. I think it's great that Wonder Woman made mention of the Elementals costume since basically the women's outfits are almost identical in style to her own. I'm a child of the 70s, and I love all the Super Friends merch, but I had never seen or heard of Pesto Fix before. I was amazed that not only did they make superhero Pesto Fix, uh, but after a Google search, I saw that they had Disney Muppets and Peanuts versions as well. Wow. What other period-specific treasures might be out there that I've never come across in my life? I don't know, Sean. You'll have to report back and, and let us know. Uh, Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says, I really do like the Elemental's new outfits. They look like a Eurovision Song Contest group. I must say, though, Ginger seems to have gotten a sunburnt, maybe a side effect of her salamander powers, and Grant's looks a lot shinier than the others. Black leather, maybe? Martin, this is a kid's comment. Phil R. says, great episode as always, um, but it was the reader feedback mention of the DC implosion that I wanted to comment on. The DC implosion was something that had a big impact on my 10-year-old self. I remember looking for Firestorm number six for months before finally giving up. I discovered the existence of the Cancel Comics Cavalcade via the Overstreet Price Guide in the 80s, but I didn't think I would ever get a chance to read it. Luckily, in the 90s, via the Usenet Rec Arts Comics News Group, I connected with another collector who was willing to photocopy his copy of it for a minimal fee. So I'm a proud owner of a fourth or fifth generation recycled photocopy version. I also snapped up the Two Mars Comic Book Implosion book when it came out and loved it. I would love to see the Fire and Order Network do a special podcast or series of episodes covering the DC Implosion, the Two Mars book, and the books in the Cancelled Comics Cavalcade. Uh, I mean, sure, Phil, that would be great if I could find uh, a 25th hour of the day. Uh, I did read that book, the DC Implosion book. I read it, I think, in the course of about two sittings. Uh, it was great. It was uh, very informative, very well done, and it was just now I'm living in that. I was totally living in that world. I remember that at the time. And so it was great to hear all the backstories about all the business machinations of what caused the explosion splash implosion. So it really was a great book. And yeah, maybe someday some of us at the network will get together and uh, do something on the implosion. It would be a probably fun series of podcasts. Uh, and then finally, Captain Entropy says, Robin Sean, thanks for the entertaining coverage of another great issue that I bought off the rack. Regarding Presto Fix, this is basically cross-stitching with beads. I know about cross-stitching because my mother learned it from a girl. My brother learned it from a girlfriend, then taught me enough to help him make our mom's Christmas present that year. Aww. Of all the projects my brother drafted me into, that may have been the one with the most immediate benefit to me. Mom loved it, and it cost nearly nothing. Anyway, to make sure you stay on pattern and cross-stitching, you count the little squares. I'm besting Presto Fix works the same way. Thank you for the info, Captain. And that's a very sweet story that you made that thing for your for your mom. I'm guessing you made her 
uh, storm the seahorse, I guess, uh, right, right back in and, and let us know. So <laughs> that is going to do it for the feedback for the previous episode of For All Mankind. A big, big thanks to Laurel Phillips for coming by and talking uh, Super Friends number 16 with me. I always enjoy talking to Laurel, and it was great to have her on uh, For All Mankind. So uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Of course, all the back episodes of the show can be found on the website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. We're always talking super friends over on Twitter at for all mankind SF. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast, and there you're going to lock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to super friends Chuck Dill and Stanford M. Brown for their support of For All Mankind. I really appreciate it, fellas. So again, that is going to do it. Thanks for listening to For All Mankind. Join us next episode when we look at Super Friends number 17, Trapped in Two Times. An FW TV podcast.